Today's podcast is brought to you by Company Cam. The only app every painter needs, Company Cam makes it dead simple to communicate, document, and problem solve with your crew no matter where you are. Company Cam brings documentation, communication, and liability protection together in one simple, easy to use app for you and your entire team. Take unlimited photos and videos, share custom reports, create flawless before and afters, and even communicate and share progress with homeowners, with galleries and project timelines, all from your smartphone. Company Cam, the only app every painter needs. Check it out at companycam.com slash paint radio. That's us, paint radio, companycam.com slash paint radio. Or check them out in your app store. Company Cam, the only app every painter needs. Welcome to Paint Radio with your host, Emily Howard and Andrew Dwyer. Paint Radio, the exclusive home of the APC podcast. With me, I'm Andrew, and Emily is Emily. How are you, Emily? I'm great, thank you. Do you think the independent contractor topic is top 10, top 5, as far as the topics we've covered the most on, on the APC podcast? Top 10? Okay. I think we've only covered this once before. What? You know, I should start listening to these podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) And then I would be much better able to discuss it. But yes, that is what we're talking about today because there's some activity on that front. And of course, it's uh, certainly one of the livelier topics, I think. There's there, there are people who are strong believers of uh, having employees and there are other people who are strong believers of having independent contractors. There's even some people who are very strongly against one or the other. And we're not really talking about either of those topics today, but we're simply discussing the rules as it pertains to classifying workers as independent contractors. And so clearly that topic is way above our heads. So we had to bring in the big guns and we did we have Scott Mursky. He's an attorney with Paley Rothman. Specifically, he's principal in the firm's employment law and litigation practice groups. Scott, thank you for being on the podcast. Happy to be here, Andrew and Emily. Awesome. So we like to play this game on, uh, on Paint Radio where I attempt to explain or describe a convoluted uh, thing. And then the guest you very politely and gently corrects all of my mistakes my mistakes does that does that sound fun sounds good you want to play sure let's do it so again talking about the independent contractor rule uh obviously there's this rules rule has been on the books for quite a while actually in the prep for this i learned that it stems from a 1947 uh rule is that is that correct scott that that's the, the forms the basis of what we talk about well it, it probably goes back even further than that but that might be the one of the first uh important times in in the history see now scott right there that was very polite and calm and gentle and thank you i have a very fragile ego and i applaud you you get extra double points for how you corrected me on that so uh obviously we have rules in place uh in the 
in the waning days, as they say, of the Trump administration, they uh, implemented a new rule that I think can accurately be said that uh, the Trump administration's rule tried to loosen, perhaps, the uh, the interpretation, the, the the rules that would determine whether an employee, whether a worker was considered an independent contractor. Um, of course, people would say, well, you know, it didn't loosen, but it certainly clarified. It could do both. It can clarify and it can loosen. I think that's a, a fair assessment, but you'll correct me later. Then the Biden administration came in and they basically acted to stop the implementation of the Trump administration rule for the purposes, generally speaking, the Biden administration believed that, well, you know, this new rule, the Trump administration implemented, uh, it does clarify things, but it also loosens some of the classifications and it, that, that may help employers, but maybe it does so at the expense of workers. I think generally speaking that you could qualify the Biden administration steps in that way. And recently a court stepped in and said, no, Biden administration, uh, you're not allowed or, or it's, it's improper for you to block the implementation of the Trump administration's rule. How badly, Scott, did I botch that description? I think you did pretty good of, of, of getting a, of getting a pretty good summary. Um, nice. I, I think you, you 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 set the framework. Um, <laughs> I, I think we, we kind of refer to it as a pendulum going back and forth between the different administrations and and watch out and duck and make sure it doesn't hit you on on the way back and and it's sort of like seesawing back and forth on depending upon what administration is in is in control uh and and i also would just say with the backdrop that sort of the same issue is happening in the states as well, um, going back and forth or, or modifying or changing definitions. So there, there's probably multiple pendulums going back and forth. Um, and you have to kind of be looking all around to make sure that, that uh, you're in compliance with, with the strictest definition wherever you're, you're currently uh, providing services. Well, and I think just, just listening to that, it mm-hmm. it's, can be confusing. I would say. <laughs> I would agree. Um, yes. So I wonder if we could we could start by kind of taking a step back and, and doing some some quick definitions. Um, sure. Difference between subcontractor and independent contractor. Sure. Well, uh, for starters, I would just say that these are you know different kind of labels, and everyone can sort of use them differently, and and I and in different industries. But from from a a legal standpoint, I would say that a subcontractor is someone that you retain or a, when, when a contractor re- enters into an agreement with another business to complete part of the main contract that the uh, we'll call general contractor or main contractor is working on. And usually a subcontractor would have his or her own employees um, as well working working on the contract. So, and I sort of view to it, view it as sort of a B two B business to business kind of working relationship, where an independent contractor is a little bit more of a of a looser relationship, I would say. And it's generally when a contractor would hire an individual or possibly a sole proprietor to complete part of 
a contract. And this is where sort of the crux of the problem begins, because are they are they really being hired as an independent contractor or are they really uh, more akin to being someone who would be your employee? And, and that's obviously sort of the debate and, and, and what we're going to dig into um, deeper. Obviously, you've got a general contractor and a subcontractor relationship, right? That's pretty right. common in the construction space. That seems relatively cut and dry. Um, is, if you're a painting contractor who uses quote unquote subs, and I can't, I, I don't really know if these, if these phrases are used interchangeably or not. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've heard kind of everything. Um, but if you're a painting contractor using subs, is the sole differentiator whether or not you're using someone with employees of their own versus a sole proprietor? Um, or is there more to it than that? Well, I think there's a little bit more, there is more to it than that, but that is an important component uh, because usually from an enforcement standard, um, you know, the, the, the different agencies, if it's an agency that would be looking at it, is concerned that the employee is someone's employee or multiple people's employee could possibly be, but they, they do look to see if it, but the focus is more on you, is you as the contractor's relationship with, with the other entity that you're asking to do the work. So if they are a business, then most likely they have their own employees and they take care of all of the employee taxes and payroll and, and, and liability issues, workers' comp, all of those things. And if, if you're contracting with an entity that does not have all of those umbrella things, then then I think that's where you sort of run into a problem. And it's more likely that that the government agency or whoever will say that you're actually the employer. So yes, it helps that the that the that the company that you're contracting with has employees because it makes it appear that you're you're in a you're dealing a business to business transaction with a subcontractor. And when you're don't have when you're dealing with a subcontractor that does not have all of the um, uh, general things that a typical business would have, it's more likely that an agency or a court is going to believe or, or determine that your relationship with that subcontractor is really nothing more than an employee-employer relationship. So to answer your question, the more things you have that makes it look like a subcontractor relationship, the better off you're going to be. And one would be that the subcontractor has employees and and pays all the required um, taxes and and provides maybe benefits and other things that, that an employer would provide. So in the in the construction industry, and I don't know if you can specify this to the level of the painting trade, mm-hmm. and it's it's you know if you can't great, but it's not necessary. What would you say is the sort of the the most common use of independent contractors in the construction industry? Right, I I think we see it in a in a in a lot of different uh, areas. I mean, I think you could see someone. Uh, hiring a, an independent contractor for you know a small job, I think we see it with day laborers on big jobs, and and I, and I think we also see it with skilled tradesmen on a, on a larger project where you might need someone with a specific specialty to come in and and perform um, you know some sort of unique service that maybe you don't offer. But I think it it runs the gamut where 
you know, business owners, when they just sort of need to plug a hole and, and get someone to do something that they probably aren't able to provide to the, to the, um, to the client. So, but we see it in, in a host of different, um, different things, like I said, from small jobs all the way up to, to large jobs where you may just need a day laborer. Um, but that's where the problem lies. When you say independent contractor, um, I think you were probably using it in a very generalized term um, where the rubber meets the road is, are those, in the, are those workers actually independent contractors? And that's really where the analysis has to begin. Um, it does not stop at what um, is how, you, how a company calls them. The label of what you use is, is really just the beginning. It's much broader um, and it looks at the definitions to determine whether or not a worker actually is an independent contractor. And the label that, that, a, that a business or, or that, that a paint contractor uses um, will not, not be suffice. Um, you will have to actually, if an audit or an investigation occurs, prove that the worker is an independent contractor versus um, an employee, if that's what, if that's in fact how you're classifying the worker or choose to classify the worker. And so that's all based on the existing rule, the rule that's on the books, which is not the Trump administration's rule, correct? Because that Um, has not taken full effect yet. That hasn't taken effect yet, has it? Well, no, I mean, it, 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 um, well, it's a little bit more confusing. (laughs) Um, it depends what what which law you're really you're really talking about, and that, that maybe we should back up a little bit and and and, um, and and sort of define that and explain it to the listeners. So, yeah. the employee independent contractor debate or issue permeates in every statute that in employment law. So, and there isn't one definition that governs every law. So unfortunately, the Fair Labor Standards Act, which is the law that governs minimum wage and overtime, has a different definition than what the National Labor Relations Board might use, which is the which is the entity that deals with unionization issues. Likewise, for discrimination laws, that's enforced by the the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. They use a different definition. So everyone, so that that further emphasizes the 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 problem that that's out there. But but from a big picture, that's just to make it easier for the listeners. Um, there's a lot of common factors and themes that you see within the different definitions. And it they they stem basically from the control factor, meaning how much control does the does the hiring entity have over the over the worker? How much independent and then the second factor is how much independence the, the, the worker has, both financial and otherwise. And then the third factor is looking at what is the core business relationship or the core business services that both the contractor and the, and the subcontractor are providing, and are they different or are they the same? And when we talk about the definitions, of, you'll see that those are, the per, those are the factors that permeate through. But right now, to answer your question, um, the, the main test that's being used at the federal um, government 
standard is is sort of like this economic realities test, which is going on right now, which is sort of intermixes those factors to determine whether or not um, the services that are being offered and the control that's being offered is is exerted enough to um, establish an independent contractor relationship. So let me try and make it a little bit more simpler. Does the worker rely on your company for their financial stability? So the more that you have a worker who's just working for you and you control what they're doing on a day-to-day basis, the more likely that that's going to be an employment relationship because you're controlling what they call the economic realities of the situation. And the more that an independent contractor that you're using branches out and works for many different paint contractors or, or any or different contractors altogether, maybe it doesn't necessarily need to be paint, the more likely that you will be able to demonstrate that the worker is an independent contractor. So right now, um, it, we're sort of in this in this mix where we still are dealing with or, or, or using a lot of the, the Trump regulations that are still out there. But what's happening is the Biden administration is moving forward to get to get their regulations out there, which are going to be which are going to be more pro uh, employee and to have more workers classified as employees and sort of uh, in most industries get rid get rid of the independent contractor, unfortunately. So what's currently under review in the courts, right? The, what I think a Texas court is is what ruled against the Biden administration and said, no, you can't block the Trump administration rule from going into effect. When might something change? Because it sounds like, uh, at least at the moment, mm-hmm. the Trump administration rule is on the glide path to going into effect unless something else changes. Right. I mean, I, I think what we're seeing is um, President Biden trying to attack the rules in different ways. So he's trying right now, or they're trying right now to um, do it through legislation and through administrative action. So at the moment, we have different legislation going through the um, the House. And the, well, actually, it already passed the House. It was called the PRO Act, which is the act to expand the definition of the employee um, employer definition in the context of the of union and unionization. And then we also see that um, different agencies, Trump is appointing different uh, directors and different um, rulemakers to pass legislation that that is more pro um, employee. So we're seeing the attack in many different ways. It's not just necessarily in, in, in one court and one way. We see the definition of employee trying to be expanded, but in many different facets and, and all by, by President Biden's actions. So he's, he's, he's hiring more pro-employee individuals to work at the Department of Labor, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And all of these people are going to have the ability to pass new or to attempt to make new rules, new definitions to try and broaden the definition of employee as we move forward. So unfortunately, it's not necessarily one thing that's going to necessarily 
make a Pandora's box and say, now mm-hmm. we know what definition we're following. It's this small erosion um, and case law and, and different things that the NLRB is going to be ruling on, which is the National Labor Relations Board. They're attacking it. It's being attacked in many different places. And it's also being attacked at the state level as well. Well, so that's what I wanted to ask is, is that this isn't what's happening in California right. and what's happening in Missouri may right. be very, very different things. So if I'm a contractor, yep. who do I look to to understand what is okay and what is not okay? Right. Well, the best advice that we give is that you have to look at the definition in the jurisdiction that you are working in that is the strictest, or, or I guess in this case, that's, that would be the broadest to, to incorporate more people as employees, because that's the one that you will have to comply with. Because if you're a contractor in California, you need to comply with all the federal laws, and you need to comply with the state laws of California. So unfortunately, you have to comply with the definition that is the most harmful to you, unfortunately, because that's the that's the one that's going to bite you the easiest. And if you if you can comply with the California definition, which is the strictest definition um, right now, then, you know, by default, you're complying with all of the lesser definitions. So you would be, you would be, if you can meet the California definition, you would certainly meet the definition for all of the Fair Labor Standards Act, which is a federal law on the National Labor Relations Board Acts and the EEOC laws and rules. So the advice is, is that you really need to figure out what is going on in your state. unless or until the federal government somehow gets their act together and and has some sort of nationwide definition for what an employee is, which I don't see happening in the near future, um, you really need to go to your your state. And and if I can, I I think it might be useful to to discuss the California definition of employee um, for for your listeners, just so everyone is aware of what what that definition is and and how that is the most... um, uh, sophisticated, if that, if that, if that's okay with you, Andrew and Emily. Yes, but to I just to add some context to this, California is the only state with its current restrictions. Am I right? Well, or has uh, that spread out at all? So California is the only state that has this this strict definition applied through all of their employment and and, and um, wage and hour laws there are some other states that 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 in some of their laws do have the same definition but but they're not applied as as broadly so that's why california is is the most um problematic because they 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 are applying it to all of their wage and hour laws, but there are some other states that are that are moving into that jurisdiction. But right now, California is the one that 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 has the strictest definition. There are other states that are that are that are creeping up pretty pretty close to California, but California is the is is one of the states that has the definition that looks at, that essentially will not allow you to have a worker as an independent contractor if they're providing 
the same service that you're providing. So in other words, if you're a paint contractor or you, and, and as, you know, that's all what all of our, our listeners are, you, you are essentially not able to hire someone else as an independent contractor who also does painting work because in the, the view is, is that you both are providing the same service. So that is not a proper independent contractor relationship. That's more akin to an employee employer relationship. So in California, unless you can demonstrate some exemption, which is very, very difficult, um, you, I, I would say, generally speaking, that it would be very risky to, to be using an independent contractor. And again, going back to the definition of independent contractor, we're talking about using an individual uh, or sole proprietor to provide services and, and you're paying them as a 1099. Um, that's something that would be risky, very risky to be, to be doing in California, fortunately. What if it was a different kind of painting? What if it was someone who does decorative or wall covering or uh, you had someone coming in to do surface prep? Um, is, right. is there any, is, well, is there any I, differentiation it, there or is painting just this broad scope term that includes anything that uses coatings? Well, I think it, it's a great question. I think my, I would then go, if, if I was representing the, the painting contractor, I would say, well, wh what do you advertise? How do you market yourself to end users? So if you market yourself as offering all of these services or you provide these services to end users, uh, and, and I can easily find that on your website, it, you're going to be hard pressed to argue to an auditor or to a court that that's not your core business or that's not part of your business because you're marketing yourself as, you know, you know, soup to nuts painting, um, then, then yeah, that would be, that would probably fall, fall under that. If you can market yourself in a different way where it's not a service that you offer, you know, maybe then you would have a stronger opportunity to, to, um, to do that. I would also, you know, you know, right. I mean, you have to decide how you, are presenting yourself, but most people want to market themselves broadly, so they, you know, cast the widest net. Um, but I would, the first place I would go is to their website or, or to their marketing materials and, and ask them, you know, how are you, how are you marketing yourself? Okay. And again, this is, I think it's good to cl clarify that this is at the current time, it's California. Um, yes, yes, yes. Um, what advice would you have? Just be, I've got a million questions and I could throw up a hundred thousand scenarios right now. I think I'm trying to reel myself in because I know we're tight on time, but right. what do you think? I mean, generally speaking, best uh, practices. Sure. Well, at a minimum, you would want to have an independent contractor agreement in place with anyone that you're attempting to argue that it, that you have an independent contractor relationship and in that agreement you would want to have a lot of things to make the to make clear that this is uh, an independent relationship and that you know that you're hiring them for a particular project and that you that they are in fact agree that they're 1099 and that they are going to file all of their required taxes however you need to be very careful when you 
how are you presenting this person to the end user? Are, are, is this per, are you going to make this person wear your uniform? Are they going to be driving one of your vehicles? If so, then they're probably not going to be a contractor. So you need to make sure that you're thinking of them as a B2B relationship in everything that, that you're doing with them. Um, you don't want to certainly don't want to call them employee at all to anyone. Uh, you would never want to make the reference. Of course, you would want to make sure you issue them a 1099 at the end of the year. You want to make sure that you're not exerting too much control over them because an independent contractor comes to you with all of the required skills. So they should already know how to paint. They should know what to do. Now you can have certain quality control things in place, but you shouldn't be training them or teaching them how to paint. If you're doing that, then they're an employee. Um, they're not because a con, you know, just like if I if I was going to hire a painter to paint my house, I would basically say I want you to do X, Y, and Z. I want you to paint it, but I wouldn't be standing over him or her watching the work being done. Um, so you want to have flexibility when you're working with a contract contractor that they have the independence and you are just sort of um, you know quality control. And, and you're not you're not babysitting them throughout the whole project. And that's really what the focus is going to be on if you're ever um, audited. But again, you don't want to give them business cards um, with your with, you, you know, that, that they're representing you. You don't want to provide them with benefits. You, 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 you really can't provide them with insurance. You, if you do any of these things, then then that would be more like an employee employer relationship. And you certainly don't want them to submit any kind of timesheets. I'm sorry, any kind of um, it, they. It would be best for them to submit invoices to you, not mm -hmm. not timesheets. Employees submit timesheets. Um, you would want them to invoice you. You want it to look like a B2B situation. Okay, I laugh because there are some homeowners that love to stand over and watch <laughs> <laughs> their painting contractors. I wonder if there's any kind of argument here to yeah, that, back off. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. I mean, yes, but I, I guess they may think that they, they're, they're, they're telling the painter how to do the work, but I assume <laughs> that the painter would argue that they don't really know what they're talking about. I, I, would, I would say that that is almost always the case. Um, and what about, so we talked about lots of, different authorities having jurisdiction yes yes where so let's say because this is only a 30-minute podcast this is a very dense right. topic um where should people be looking for more information so that they can kind of study up sure that's a that's a great question so each state has a really good most states have a really good uh information just of the, what their general definitions are for employment um, you usually can go to the state's Department of um, Labor. They might have a slightly different name in each state. And most of them have resources on what is an employee, what is an, what is an independent contractor. Um, so that would be a great starting place, as well as all of the federal agencies that have employment statutes. They all have definitions. So you know, they're, they're, that's a great place to start. Now, you won't get a lot of the color or the debate issues. Um, I mean, that's just going to be very much, you know, dry law, but at least if you want to understand what the factors are and what the criteria is and what an auditor will be looking at, uh, what factors in order to determine whether your worker is an employee or an independent contractor, that's a great starting point. If you can't meet those factors, um, then, you know, obviously 
you need to look further into the situation. But that that's where I would recommend both on the federal and, and state level to go to the um, go to the source and read their definitions on how an employee how they classify an employee. Scott, I'd like to zero in on on the risk. How much how much jeopardy yeah, are our sure. employers and painting contractors facing? So because I think it would yeah. be it could be tempting yeah. for a listener to be like, oh, my God, I can't win. This is a minefield. Yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah. pendulum is swinging and whatever I do, it's going to be wrong. Um, right. And I think it's I mean, obviously, the waters are muddy, right. but I don't know if the waters are raging. Right. So you okay. might not be able to see where you're going. But, man, how much risk? are you facing? So, okay. Great what, question. What could go wrong? If, is right. it simply like, Nope, you know, from a tax standpoint, no, you can't claim that those right. employers are, or those workers are, or contractors. What, what's the worst case scenario? Right. If right. You get it wrong. Right. Well, uh, just to bring it back to something that you were, you were saying earlier, you know, is this a top, top 10 issue or that we've talked about on paint right. radio, I would say from an employment perspective, we would probably put, you know, misclassification of independent contractors and employees definitely in the top five of, of, you know, employment pitfalls, but mm -hmm. not to necessarily scare everyone because, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, the issue really becomes on how many, you know, how many people do you really do this with? If you have a hundred people that you're potentially uh, paying as 1099s that should be employees, you know, then your risk is that much more, uh, you know, it's a hundred times the risk. So mm -hmm. I always say, you know, how many people are we talking about to begin, you know, to begin the discussion? Because obviously, especially with an enforcement agency, you know, they're, they're looking generally for, you know, bigger fish in the sea uh, because they obviously need to justify their, you know, their existence. So they're not looking for the onesies, twosies. Um, they may be looking for, for a bigger, bigger entity. So, um, but yes, the, the, the risk, unfortunately, if you are doing it wrong can be substantial, even with one employee. Um, some of these statutes, you know, come with penalties, paying the back taxes. And unfortunately, if you if they hire a lawyer and they bring some sort of overtime claim uh, for, you know, the person was working more than 40 hours. And that's really where we see a big risk. If, if you have an independent contractor who's working many, many, many hours, your liability is going to be is going to be greater. A lot of the statutes do allow the prevailing party to recover their attorney's fees. So that can be a, you know, not great situation for a, a defendant because you're paying your lawyer, you're paying out a potential judgment, and you might be paying out the, for the plaintiff's lawyer as well. But again, it, it really, I, I believe it, it, the focus is on, you know, how many hours, how often are you doing this? But I would say, Andrew, one very important question, one very important comment that I always make to people is you have to run your business, right? So you do your best to you know you know classify people correctly you 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 try and look at the checklist you might modify the job to to make it more independent but at the end of the day you know you have to run your business and you have to make a business decision so it's always a cost benefit analysis you know are you able to to, to you know you have to look at the risk and you also have to look at 
if I have to do all these things, can I even have a business? And then you have to decide, and then, and then it's about minimizing the risk. So you do as many of the things as possible to meet as many of the criteria as possible. So if the auditor comes knocking, you have the best arguments to, to argue that the worker is in fact, um, uh, you know, an independent contractor. So some preparation is important so you can have the best defense. It's all about defense when, when, <laughs> when, when they come and knock in. Scott, you know, that's great. That's great guidance. Um, certainly one of the places people can go uh, for more information is, uh, is your firm's website, paleyrothman.com. Yes. And that's P-A-L-E-Y rothman.com. What, what might they find there? We have we have tons of blogs. We write about all different types of employment issues from independent contractors to wage an hour. We try and stay up to date on what's happening, uh, you know, around around the country. Uh, but we have we we have blogs, we have information and, um, you know, we just want to get the word out. This is this is a very complicated topic um, and. You know, it's very individualized. So, you know, unfortunately, you probably want to have, sit down with an attorney to go over the exact relationship that you have with your workers or your independent contractors and see what can be done to um, strengthen the situation or possibly reclassify uh, individuals if they've been classified uh, incorrectly. Scott Mursky. Attorney with Paley Rothman, again, P-A-L-E-Y Rothman.com. Scott, you, uh, the game, you, you crushed that game. You won that game, man. Thank you for being so, uh, so, so kind to me. I'm not no, accustomed no, to anytime, it. Well done. Anytime. Thanks for being on the podcast, Scott. Excellent information. Thank you. And for more information, in addition to PaleyRothman.com, of course, PaintMag.com, the single greatest website in the painting industry. And I don't even take full credit. I only take like 90% credit. Emily had a little bit to do with it. So <laughs> go to PaintMag.com. Lots of excellent resources. And yes, we will keep track of this independent contractor rule and update you as best we can. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>